Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you are in the cafe this morning, God bless you all. We love you so much. I'm telling you, it's been a wild 36 hours. Uh, Friday night, I would never really thought I would be standing in this spot uh, with, with you all. Uh, we did have a church fire this weekend in this very room. Uh, it was an electrical fire that uh, started up in this uh, bulkhead area right here. Um, luckily, we had had a wedding rehearsal here, and there were still people in the house, and so the fire was uh, was detected very, very quickly. And uh, luckily, we are across the railroad tracks with Woodburn Volunteer Fire Department. Those guys are awesome, and they got right here. And uh, on top of all that, yeah, we got Warren Weeks. This man is a, a miracle robot of some kind. I, I, I don't understand. Uh, Warren's awesome. You guys are We can talk about the wisdom of this at staff meeting on Tuesday, but Warren Weeks went up by himself until the fire department came and fought that fire in the attic. It really was never that big, but I still don't know if Warren should be up there, you know, fighting a fire by himself. But, um, you know, this man defended this church like it's his own house. And and I just love him for that. I I don't most of them because I haven't slept. (laughs) <laughs> but I really do. I love you for that, Warren. Warren. Warren fought that fire like it was his own house. Um, with the fire extinguisher, you know, from the kitchen. You know, you know. Uh, but he very likely kept the fire small until the fire department came. And it really, really never did get that, that big. Firemen themselves kicked the drywall out right there. The, the, the hole that our guys have passed, you see that. Uh, the, the heat was still very, very, very hot underneath the insulation. So they kicked that out so that would fall. And, uh, and remove the, the, the danger of any more fire striking up. So anyway, we're blessed. Uh, it is not luck uh, that people are here. It is not luck that we are across the road tracks from, from the fire department. God is good to us. Uh, very good. Huh. Let's stop and pray. Uh, well, why don't you, you bite your heads and I'll just cry a while. And then I'll, I'll say amen. just a building God it's just a building and we know it's just a building but this is one of the places where we meet you Lord God and this is one of the places where we meet together and it is so sweet when we are with you here in this place and it is so sweet when we are together and so we have learned to love this place even though it is still just a building. Lord God, today, we just want to kneel in gratitude and thank you for protecting this house. Thank you for protecting our people. Thank you, Lord, that even after the worst of weekends, we can gather in your house, in this room today, and we can declare that all is well. God, thank you for being such a good and great God, and thank you for allowing us to live such a life. Now, Lord God, speak to us through your word, and give us grace and courage and the means to share this life with all of those everywhere who still don't know how great and good you are. This is just a place. It's just a house. It's just a building. But you have called us to leave this house and go into the world. So, Lord God, may we never love this place so much that we forget that you have called us to go out. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.
You'll find inside your order of worship today a, a little pamphlet that says the star. Will you take that out? Uh, some of you dropped it on the way in because I saw him on the carpet all the way down the hall. And, and we know who you are. You go back and pick that up, you all, because uh, this is a part of your job, not only this week, but for life. This is a part of your job. Um, this is a small, in, in the old days, y'all, listen to Papa, we called these tracks. These were gospel tracks. This is a tract. It really is. Now it's called a gospel engager. Yeah, yeah gospel engager. So in your hand is a gospel engager, you guys. It really is. That's awesome. Uh, but notice on the back of this gospel engager, you will find uh, our schedule for, uh, for, for holiday and Christmas Events. You'll find contact information for our church and also information to a website that shares the, the gospel in very, very, very plain, very plain language. I want you to take this because I want you to understand something. We're talking about missions today. We're talking about Jesus as the king of the world, which is to say he's the, the child born uh, to die that we might live. The child born to rule and reign so that at his very name, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the king of kings. But the world doesn't know that. Not everyone knows that. Not everyone has even heard his name. And you don't have to travel far anymore to discover people who don't know him, who don't know his name. Now, we are his followers. You know this. And yeah, this ain't, if you're wondering this, I haven't, I haven't even started this sermon yet. Uh, if, if you aren't clear, we are his followers. And one thing you're going to understand, once you begin to follow Jesus, you will discover that his path always leads you in the direction of people who don't know him. When you're following Jesus, you are always going to be led in the direction of people who don't know him. Now, if in the course of a week, you never ever find yourself crossing paths with people who don't know Jesus and you yourself having an opportunity to to say his name, to, to share something of Jesus. If in the course of a week, you never cross paths with someone who needs you to tell them about Jesus, you probably ought to question if you follow Jesus that week. Because Jesus came to seek and save the ones who were lost, and that's what he's still doing. And if you're following him, you end up doing that too. It's called missions, but it's also simply called following him. Because this is where he goes, always. So in the course of a week, I'd start to question, but if a month goes by, if a solid month goes by and you haven't told anybody about Jesus, you haven't found yourself going in the direction of people who need to know him, I would ask some serious questions about my Christian commitment. And if a year or a number of years go by and you never ever find yourself saying the name of Jesus to people who need to know who, who Jesus is, then I would really seriously question my Christian faith at all. Because when you follow Jesus, you'll be doing what Jesus does. And Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost. So, here you go. I want to make it easy for you, at least in this coming week. This is a, a way to share the gospel with someone. Also a way to send them back to church with you. So, I want to ask you to take this with you. If you dropped it on the rug on the way in, uh, find another one. I'll provide you new, another one. But, but, but don't just lay this aside. Don't stick it in your Bible and then your kids find it after you're dead. All right? I mean, take this, use this. It's a tool. It's a tool for trying to share Christ with someone. So take this with you. Again, you can invite them to the choir's Christmas concert next Sunday night to one of our Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve or any of our Sunday worship services between now and Christmas. 
Uh, most statistics show that if people respond to an invitation any time of year, it's right now at Christmas. A lot of people who wouldn't ordinarily come to church with you will come if you invite them right now in the next week or two. Okay, So in the next week or two, I want you to do that. This is why we're here. This is our mission. Okay, So take that with you. Do that and I will do the same. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Let's pick up where... The worship team has led us this morning to Matthew chapter 2. The wise men, visitors from the east, the magi. Let's read this, this passage. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. If you're following on the live event uh, tonight with your small group, I really look forward to the conversations you'll have around this passage. This is good. A lot of very interesting, interesting things I can't preach that you'll find here in this chapter, not the least of which is this amazing star, the star of Bethlehem, we call it. Uh, listen, I'm not going to preach it today, but listen to the way this star is described and ask yourself what in heaven's name that thing was. This is beautiful. This is good. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we're talking about missions today. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting from the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. Yeah, right. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they opened, they, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. When the topic is missions, usually uh, the anxiety that rises up within us is that, that idea that we might have to go, that we might have to say something, that, that we may have to do something. And honestly, it's a healthy question to ask. If, if God did ask you to go, to, to leave your home, your house, and, and go to someplace far away, maybe uh, out of state, maybe even out of country, would you go? In the last week or two in our congregation, we've had on this platform a number of people from these pews who've done exactly that. They, they did that. They heard God's call to go and they left their house, they left their businesses, they left everything and they've gone. And they come back and report to us and we love to see them. We hug their necks. We will support them. But I'm asking you, would you go? If God asks you, leave your job, leave your grandkids, leave your house. Leave everything you know and go for the sake of the gospel somewhere else, maybe out of state, maybe out of the country, maybe far away. 
would you go? Is that a hard question? For some of us, we don't want to think about it because it causes us to really, at the very root of our Christian life, examine our our commitment. Examine the degree to which we actually are followers of Jesus. Because understand, before anybody is going to be a missionary, they've got to be a follower. An actual follower. So what does it take to be a follower? I, I would say a couple of things. First off, you must surrender the right to choose your own path. A follower follows. You're no longer leading. You're no longer blazing a trail. You're no longer making your own choices. So in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to surrender the right to choose your own path. You are no longer king of your own world. You are no longer master of your universe. You are now a follower. And let's be honest, some of us don't follow well. I don't follow well. I like to think of myself as an individual. I like to think of myself as creative. I like to think of myself as as marching to the beat of a different drummer. I don't want to be like you people. You understand? I want to follow. Went into the mall, on the department stores. I I don't do the mall. I don't enjoy the mall. I went to buy cologne uh, because I do like to smell nice. I went to buy cologne at one of the department stores. And this sales girl was behind the counter. And she said, can I help you? And honestly, I don't want help. I I, I don't do help. But I said, I'm I'm looking for cologne. She said, oh, I'll help you. So she disappeared around one of the glass cases and came back with, you know, this bottle as big of cologne. And she said, here, this is our number one best-selling scent. Okay, she lost me at number one best-selling. Because understand, I want the number one best-selling scent. What she is telling me is that she's trying to sell me the opportunity, the daily opportunity to smell like every man at Rich Pond Market. I mean, the number one selling scent. I don't want to smell like all you guys. You know, I, I want like the scent nobody's bought yet. I want the one that just came in today. I, I want to be unique. Understand? Selling me the number one best selling nothing. You understand? I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. I'm out there first. So I'm setting the trend. You understand? I'm not falling, jumping on a bandwagon. But understand that this is a problem for me. It makes it difficult for me to surrender to Jesus because when I surrender to Jesus, I'm not unique. I'm a part of his body. I'm not calling the shots. I'm I'm not blazing some new trail. I'm falling behind. I'm surrendering the right to choose my own path. And you are too. So it's what makes it difficult for most of us to genuinely follow Jesus. We don't follow. We lead. Or we wander. But we like to reserve the right to keep our options open. You surrender that when you come to Jesus. And and the next, and this is the important one for the story. You have to recognize your own need. People who follow, follow out of some need. And in the story, the wise men follow out of a need. And it's a beautiful and important need that they need. Notice what they state. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now who's asking? Magi. It's not a word we know. It's a root that, that, that gives us our word magician. They're pagans. Understand, they're pagans. These are not God worshipers. These are not people of the Old Testament. They, they don't know the Bible. They don't know anything. These guys are pagan. They don't, they don't know. They don't know God. They don't know anything about the Messiah. They're astrologers maybe. We say that because we know they're interested in the stars. Or at least they've noticed one. 
But for some reason, from wherever these guys are from, the east, it says. You know, east is not really a place. It's a direction. These guys have been traveling for who knows how long. You just sort of notice in the story, it says that Herod interviews them down in verse 9. And and he wants to find out exactly how long it's been since they first saw the star. And and then Herod later, you know, when he tries to kill Jesus, he kills all the boys two years old and under. Which means by Herod's calculation, these guys have probably been on the road for two years. Pagans. On the road for two years. I mean, they left everything to follow the star because somehow they had it in their heads that this star somehow signaled the birth of someone very important. And and not just an important person. I mean, someone worthy of worship. They're pagans. And that somehow they have this deep need to worship. This need to bow down in front of somebody more important than they are. To bow down in front of a king like no other king that you could find in any other kingdom, on any other throne. There's something that sets these guys wandering, sets these guys following. And it's this deep need. You have to recognize your need. Yeah, I'm still talking about missions. But before we can talk about missions, we have to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm not saying the wise men were followers of Jesus per se. They don't know it's Jesus that they seek, but it's Jesus that they seek. And even as pagans, with what little they know, they know enough to leave everything. For the sake of following, for the sake of somehow finding this needle in a haystack, this baby born, and they don't even know where. They just know they have to find him because they have to worship. They need to worship. They need to bow down in front of this one who is worthy. That that amazing? And the path of following the star, the path of seeking after this one so great that these pagans would fall down and worship, the path leads them right there to the doorstep of King Herod and all of the religious men of Judea. Which leads us to talk about us. He said they're religious people. Notice that. I mean, Herod finds out that these wise men are in town. And notice how they just come into town. They're following the star. And they get there. And they don't know any better than to just start talking. Just start talking. Where is he? They say, where is the one born king? Where is he? You see, here is where the wise men come off as a little bit foolish. Because the wise men make this mistake of thinking that the church people are going to be as excited as they are about this one born king of the Jews. They make the mistake of thinking that the religious people are going to get it. And maybe that's the foolish part because if you've been around religious people long, you'll soon recognize they don't necessarily get it at all. Not at all. I mean, this is right here in their hometown. This is their backyard. The wise men have traveled from God knows where. And now they're here going, where is he? And the people say, well, excuse me, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? I mean, it's in their own holy book. It's in their scriptures. It's in their backyard. I mean, they of all people should know. Have they not looked up in the sky and seen the star, you know, blazing right there in the next block? Have they no idea what's happening right in front of their faces? Apparently not. 
I mean, the apathy of the religious people is one of the breathtaking mysteries of this passage. If the Magi, the wise men would travel, they would traverse afar, as the song says. But the religious people, man, they're not even going to get out of their pew and look out the window to see what God might be doing. They have the scriptures. They don't even have far to go. But I'm telling you, it's still not worth it for them. They're not even curious. Man. I know it's strange to be so critical of religious people standing in a room full of, you know, religious people. But I'm telling you, you can be very religious and not be a follower of Jesus. You're really religious and not be a worshiper of Jesus. And the fact that you're here today doesn't necessarily mean you come here for the sake of Jesus. And I at least want you to acknowledge that, recognize that. Your, your religion isn't the same thing as a genuine commitment to Jesus. I mean, honestly, as I said, the Magi, they're, they're not necessarily religious. They don't have the scripture. They don't have all of the benefits of these amazing teachers and priests of religious law. They don't have any of that, but they don't have their curiosity either. And they don't have that passion to follow. They don't seem to recognize any need to bow down in front of anybody more powerful than they are. That's why the Magi end up Looking more like missionaries than anybody else in the whole story. You see, you see when, even people like the Magi, even those who just you know, really just get even from a distance a, a real idea of who Jesus is and what he's worth. They must look at us sometimes and wonder what in the world is our problem. I mean, the Magi would follow. The Magi would go. And the Magi, they can't even help talking about Jesus. And they don't even know who Jesus is. And yet they can't stop talking. I mean, they nearly get the baby killed because they can't stop talking. And when it comes to missions, when it comes to evangelism, we can't start talking. And that's a problem. It's, a, it's an amazing problem. And I think it goes back to our apathy. The fact that we have the Word of God. The fact that we have a, a saint story like this every single Sunday. The fact that we have such resources. And yet we have no actual need to do anything other than continue going through our religious motions. When God has called us to go, to follow him into the nations, to follow him toward, toward the direction of those who need to know him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I can say this because I've heard it a million times. In church, our go-to excuse for not doing missions is that whole idea where we say, well, well I think evangelism starts in our own backyard. You know, that's what church people often say. I think mission starts here at home. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, absolutely. Mission starts right here in Woodburn. Mission starts on Three Springs Road. Mission starts in Hidden River. Mission starts right in your backyard. I couldn't agree more. The problem is most of the people who, who say that all the time, they're not being missionaries in their backyard either. Of course it starts in Woodburn. When are you going to go? Of course it starts down Three Springs Road. When are you going to get out of your car and start knocking on doors on Three Springs Road? Of course it starts in your own backyard. When are you going to walk out the door? He said, that, that's the problem. We use that as an excuse when honestly we don't tend to go anywhere. 
Most of us just aren't going to go anywhere at all. So we make this excuse. We sort of put foreign missions or international missions up against home missions. And we say, you know, local missions is more important. But let's be honest. I mean, I mean, for one thing, we're just making excuses. We don't intend to go anywhere locally. I mean, we ain't going nowhere but home. But, but notice the story. I, I love this little part. It's the part where they say, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And what's the answer? Well, you know, Herod has to go to the priests and teachers of religious law. And they know so much. They know exactly where he's supposed to be born. They don't bother going. But they know. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, the scripture says this. And then they, they can quote the scripture. You, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities. Well, why would the word of God have to say, Bethlehem, you're not, a, you're not an unimportant little city. Why would God have to say that? Because Bethlehem, honestly, kind of an unimportant little city. I mean, let's be honest. If Jesus had never been born there, would you know about that place? I mean, Bethlehem, even today, I mean, it's got nothing going for it except the fact that Jesus was born there. I mean, that's it. It's kind of no place special. And that's the whole point. I mean, that's the shock of it. He's born where? Bethlehem. What? They don't even have a hospital in Bethlehem. I mean, what? If he's born in Bethlehem, can the Messiah come from Bethlehem? It's no place. Interesting. I mean, God could have had his Messiah be born anywhere, but he just picks, you know, Bethlehem. Nothing special about that place, Bethlehem. And the fact that God can pick a no place special place like Bethlehem tells us what about a no place special place like Woodburn? I mean, you know, it just means that for God, all the places are equally special. I mean, for God, it's nothing to choose Bethlehem or choose Woodburn. And he does choose Woodburn. Look at all of the ways that God has sent Woodburn into the world. I mean, why in the world would you choose a church like Woodburn to go into all these places in East Asia, Southeast Asia? I mean, why? Why, why would you send us? I mean, most of us are plain as cornbread. Most of us don't even like to fly. I mean, honestly, we'd have more missionaries going overseas if you all could ride your lawnmowers, you know, over there, you know. I mean, ride your four-wheeler. I mean, we don't fly, all that stuff. Don't even have a passport. That's the amazing thing. I mean, for God, all these places are beloved places. They're cities that he loves and people that he loves. We say, I think mission starts in your own backyard. Yeah, that's the funny part. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But because the truth of the matter is, every place is God's backyard. It, it, we're talking about God's perspective, not your perspective. And there's no such thing as foreign missions to God. Now, you understand? When Jesus stood in the book of Acts and said, you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you're thinking, oh, uttermost parts of the earth. That's got to be Edmondson County. You know, that's got to be Logan. That's got to be Portland. Or that's got to be like Yugoslavia or Greenland. I mean, you're just standing there where you are thinking, what's far away from me? Oh, my goodness. It must be Botswana. But, but, but no, no. Who's speaking there? It's Jesus speaking. And when Jesus says uttermost parts of the earth, he's not talking about people that may be far away from you. He's talking about people who may be far away from him. And that's a spiritual sort of description, not a geographical de- description. You understand? 
So when Jesus says the uttermost parts of the earth, understand, we are the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, Jesus was standing there somewhere in Palestine speaking a language, not English. Understand, when Jesus said people in the uttermost parts of the earth, he was talking about you, us. There's no foreign missions to God. There's, there's no place that for God seems far away. That's why for God, it's just nothing in the world to take a girl like Rebecca Morgan out of Woodburn Baptist Church and take her to Berlin, Germany and help her to rescue women caught up in sex slavery. You think, wow, how, how does that happen? Because God just can do this. God is free and God is sovereign. And for God, there are no places that are foreign. It's all God's backyard. It's all his backyard. It's nothing for God. There's no such thing as foreign mission. This brings me back to the wise men. This is the moment when the wise men seem most like missionaries to me. It's the way they show up in town and they say, well, where is he? Where is this newborn king? Where is he? In other words, they show up to talk about Jesus, but... But in their minds, Jesus is already there. When they go to talk about Jesus in this faraway place, Jesus is there. They're trying to discover and help the people discover the king who's already right there among them. This is the one fault with a lot of us when we do missions. We think we're taking Jesus to people. We think that these are heathens in the darkness. And we need to get over there so Jesus can be there. It's almost like we're going to pack Jesus in our suitcase and then we're going to pop him out over there in some place Jesus has never been. And that's not how it works. Anytime we get involved in missions, we're just joining Jesus in the work he's already doing. And anytime you get on a plane for the sake of the gospel and you set your foot in some place you've never been, understand, you can't put your foot down in any place where Jesus has not already been for a long time and he's there now. Not taking Jesus to people, he's already there. That they may not see him, they may not know him, they may need somebody to point out the obvious to them, but you're always only going to be explaining a Jesus who's already there with them, already there for them, already there loving them. That's the exciting part about evangelism. You're not somehow trying to set the fires, you know, set the first spark. The Holy Spirit's already working people's lives. If you have an opportunity to share the gospel, that's just that moment when the Holy Spirit brings you in to be a part of what he's already doing. Now that crazy pagan son-in-law of yours that you think is so far away from Jesus, don't you understand? Holy Spirit's working in his life. You start evangelizing, you start sharing Christ with your crazy brother-in-law, son-in-law, you know, your neighbors. You'll start to understand that Jesus is already at work. He's already drawing their hearts. He's revealing himself to them. I'm going to take Jesus into some place he's never been. I'm going to take Jesus someplace where he's not already. You just get to go and be a part of what he's trying to do in that place with those people who desperately need to know him. The wise men do what all missionaries do. They just bring the message of Christ to a place where he is already there. He's already there. People don't know. They don't know him. They don't see him. They don't worship him. That's why we have to go. 
We have to go everywhere. It's the most important thing we have to do. It's the only job we have. We have to go. And because we can't go everywhere, we have to send people to the places where you and I can't go. I can't speak every language, but I can send someone who can learn the language. I can't be everywhere. God's called me to Woodburn. I trust that you're in the place where God has called you to be. But we still have this great commission to fulfill. We have to send and go. Make sure everybody hears. He's the king of the world, but the world doesn't know him yet. One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But at this point, not every knee bends. We're a part of what he's doing in the world. So it brings us to the offering we collect today. It's the gift to Jesus for the world. It takes money on missions. It takes money. It takes our obedience. It takes our following, all of this. It's, it's not like we can give money and then that, that, that buys us the excuse not to be involved in this ourselves. But our involvement involves our treasures that we bring. When the wise men finally get to Jesus, they fall on their faces before him. And then they bring their treasure. They bring their treasure to him. Part of what we do today, we, we, we bring our treasure. And for most of us, that treasure is a check we can write. It's money that we can put in an envelope. It's giving online. That's our treasure. It's where our heart is. So let's give today. Let's give for the sake of missions. Let's give for the sake of the gospel. Let's give to send those that will go places where you and I can't go. Let's, let's give to send people to the places where the need is the greatest. Let's give and give and give. Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. So I promise you, if at this present moment, giving for you doesn't feel very good, you're probably not giving enough. You're probably not giving enough. You're doing it wrong if it's not a cheerful, joyful thing. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we pray. The ushers will come. And as we sing this final song, the altar is open if you wish to come and pray. Deacons will meet you on both corners. If you need prayers for healing or anything else, these men are here to serve you, to minister to you. Whatever your need, understand the need of the world is great. And the mission of the church is good. It is to go and tell. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we forget the miracle and the grace that has brought us to you. Lord, the good news about your salvation came to us on its way to somebody else, Lord. So may the gospel never stop with us. May it just be continued to be passed on. God, we will go wherever you send us. We will sacrifice whatever it costs us, Lord. We will because we're followers of yours and we love you. God, we're not saying it's simple. We're not saying it's easy. And we're not saying that sometimes, Lord, we don't resist. But, Lord, ultimately we want to be obedient and we want to go and we want to tell and we want to give. So, Lord, this morning, loosen our tongues. Lord, make our feet willing to walk and move and follow you. Help us, Lord, to be a little more willing to release our treasures, that your name may be lifted up, that the gospel may be proclaimed, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that you, oh, Jesus, are Lord. We pray these things in your precious and holy name for the sake of the world. We'll stand together. The ushers will come. The place.